John chapter 12, if you would turn there in your Bibles. You'll have to excuse my old man voice. I, I don't know why this morning, the first service was really hard to speak. I just have this kind of gruggly thing. So I'm not mad at anybody yet. I'm just, it's just my voice. Nevertheless, verse 42, beginning in verse 42, John chapter 12. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out, saying, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe or keep them, I do not judge him, but I, uh, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me does not receive Let's see, I'm jumping around here. Where am I? Verse 48, I'm sorry. He who rejects me does not and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me command what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is eternal life or everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Well, if only we all could say that. Father, we pray that you would teach us, Lord, that as we look at your word today, that we might glean application for our own lives. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for the inspired word of God. We thank you, Lord, that these men that were with Jesus, that um, heard him speak, that you led them to record these things, Lord. And I'm sure we're just scratching the surface of the things both you did and said. But Lord, we trust that everything we have is sufficient. It's all we have need of. So thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence, and we pray now for life application. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Our text today, um, it really kind of opens up, and for me personally, just reading the text, it's kind of sad, because at first it, it, it sounds wonderful, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. And if it would have stopped there, we would have said, isn't that wonderful, I mean, you know, people from all classes, from all walks of life were placing their faith in Jesus. But of course, it doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Now, we saw this earlier in John's gospel account. Remember the blind man who was healed by Jesus? And um, the Pharisees were so, they were just dogging this poor guy and saying, uh, you know, who did this, and give God the glory, and, and all of that type of thing. And they threatened to put him out of the synagogue, 
And then they brought his parents in. His parents were afraid that they would be put out of the synagogue, which simply means to be excommunicated. So they said, well, he's of age. You need to ask him. You know, it's constantly kind of passing the buck. And, and finally, you know, he meets the one who opened his eyes. Because remember, as you read the account, he had no idea what, the, what Jesus looked like. He was blind when Jesus prayed over him. He was told to go and to wash. And by the time he got back, Jesus was gone. And so um, once he meets Jesus and, and Jesus gives him some further instruction, then, of course, he freely professed him and he was put out of the synagogue. So we have these, these rulers. We have these men, and they, um, they believe in him. To what degree, you know? It's important for us when we're reading the gospel accounts that when the scripture talks about people believing in Jesus, their belief was limited. I mean, even his disciples were told by Jesus himself that they were going to Jerusalem, that he'd be handed over to the Gentiles, that they would um, kill him, and on the third day he would rise again. But even though they were told that, they didn't understand it. I mean, they were really kind of confused about the whole thing. And surely, until the coming of the Holy Spirit and the revelation of of what the death on the cross even meant. What, what was the purpose? What did it fulfill, you know? Uh, and then, of course, the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, which were the only scriptures they had, came to life. The prophecies of Isaiah, the things that Isaiah spoke, or, or the writers of the Psalms. Many of the Psalms were prophetic. I think of Psalm 22, prophetic picture of the cross, you know. Isaiah 53, prophetic picture of the cross, the suffering the suffering Messiah. And so these men, they believed, but they did not confess him because they were afraid. What were they afraid of? Well, they were afraid of being put out of the synagogue. So they're afraid of losing access and place. Um, William Barclay, he's a commentator, and he wrote this. He says, um, quote, secret disciples is a contradiction in terms for either... The secrecy kills the <laughs> discipleship, or the discipleship kills the secrecy, end of quote. Isn't that true? Secret disciples, they were afraid. They were afraid. Remember what Jesus said? We saw it a few weeks ago now in verse 25. You can just look back at it, same chapter. He said, he who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. These rulers, I think it's safe to say, conclude that they love their life, they love their reputation, they love their place in the synagogue more than they love the Lord. Now, you might say, you know, Dan, you can't make statements like that. I mean, who are you? You can't judge their hearts. Isn't that the number one thing that we hear? You know, every time I would share the gospel with my friends, my family members after I came to Christ, I would hear that over and over again. You can't judge my heart. You can't judge. I'm not judging your heart. I'm just simply sharing with you what the gospel says, what the gospel teaches, the purpose of the cross. You're a sinner. You, know, you can't judge my heart. You don't know what's in my heart. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus tells us to do that very thing, not to judge the heart, but to judge the fruit that comes from the heart. Remember that? That what we are will be manifested. I mean, it just eventually it comes out. In other words, there are no secret disciples of Jesus. They do not exist. 
And yet many people try <laughs> to have that kind of relationship with the Lord. And why? Because they fear. What do they fear? They fear men. They fear men. I was sharing with the first service that, um, you know, I hope we have each of us in our lives, you know, these kind of turning points in our life where we kind of uh, say to ourselves, never again, never again, never again. Um, I think of when I was growing up, you know, I was always a big kid and uh, I kind of, everything kind of leveled out. Once I got into high school, I wasn't like the big guy, but when I was in, in kindergarten, you know, with a bunch of five-year-olds and, you know, I, I looked like I was much older than them just because I was so much bigger than them, you know. And uh, though I was a big guy, I was a very timid guy. And, and uh, my mother told me, you know, I used to be bullied when I would come home from parochial school with our uh, little uniform on, you know, the salt and pepper corduroys and the wingtip shoes and the briefcase. I mean, who wouldn't beat up on somebody like that? <laughs> and, and the red sweaters and the white shirts and, and all of this. And, and my mother really, m more than my father, my mother said to me, she, she saw these kids kind of bullying me. And she says, Danny, don't let them bully you anymore. You need to stand up for yourself. I know this isn't politically correct, so you'll have to excuse me. I am an old guy. So I've lived at a different time in history when uh, some things made more sense than maybe they do today. But I remember that turning point. I'm not going to be bullied anymore. I remember a turning point as a Christian. I remember coming to faith in Christ, being excited about the Lord, telling everyone I could about my faith in Jesus and what Jesus had done. And, and, and then, you know, after a, a period of time, you know, things kind of cooled down a little bit. I was on a construction site with my peers, you know, I was a carpenter, and, and uh, some of the guys were talking about Jesus freaks. And, uh, and they had, you know, I had a bumper sticker on my vehicle, of a fish or something that indicated that I was one of them. And uh, one of the guys said, oh, you're one of those, aren't you, Dan? And I was embarrassed in the moment, and I was more concerned about what they thought of me in the moment than reality, and I backpedaled. I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not a freak about Jesus or anything. I'm just, you know, I just believe in Jesus. It didn't last long. It wasn't this back and forth. It was really that simple. He made a statement, and I backpedaled. And I went back to work, and I was so ashamed of myself. And I said, never again. Never again. Uh, never again am I going to fear man. It's so foolish to fear man. Because men, women, people are so erratic anyway. Oh, we love you. Oh, you're the guy. Oh, you're the gal. Oh, we got your back. And then the next moment, yeah, they got your back with a blade stuck in it. You know, so isn't that just the nature of people? They're erratic. They're fickle. They, they, and, and, and yet, that is the reason, and, and we need to understand that verse 42, of course, written by John, and then verse 43 is John's commentary. This is John's commentary. These are not the words of Jesus. Jesus is not saying here, 
Well, the problem is they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Jesus didn't say that. John said that. John wrote that. This is John's conclusion. And I think it's an accurate conclusion. They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. In fact, we're presented with a contrast. The contrast is the praise of men or the praise of God. Well, when you put it like that, it puts everything into perspective, doesn't it? You know, Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare. You guys know it. Do you know what the word snare means? A noose. The fear of man brings a snare or a noose, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Hmm. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. He says, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. The word deny literally means to contradict, to disavow, to reject. Remember when Peter did that? He was so ashamed of himself. He was so embarrassed. I mean, we'll see it in, in our study of John's gospel account. John, in fact, tells us something that the other gospel writers do not tell us. That, that when Jesus met them in that morning, they were fishing all night, I think that Peter, it doesn't say it, but or maybe it does say it, that Peter kind of initiated the thing. It's almost as if Peter said, well, I'm a complete failure. I'm the one pounding my chest saying, I'll never deny you. And, I, and I'm the only one that denied the Lord. And he's ashamed. And then they're there fishing, and they see this, this figure on the beach, and, and, <laughs> and the man on the beach says, little children... Have you caught anything? Well, there's only one that would call a bunch of men little children. Remember how Peter responded? Peter puts on his garment. He jumps into the water. He starts swimming. The Bible doesn't tell us this, but I, I can't help but think to myself that as he's swimming in, his own conscience, maybe the accuser of the brethren, you know, we have him to deal with as well, begins to speak into his mind, where are you going? You want to be the first at the beach to greet the Lord, the resurrected Lord, by the way? Do you think he wants anything to do with you, Peter? And they all kind of reach the beach at the same time, Peter preoccupies some time. You guys know the account. He grabs the net. He pulls the net in. He begins to count the fish. I mean, this is, this is a man who, who does not want to be there in that moment. So he wants to preoccupy himself with things. And then it comes. He's singled out. Peter, do you agape me more than these? Well, we'll see that. We'll study that when we get to it. Well, denying him, to contradict, to disavow. Paul began this verse by saying, if we endure, that means to stay under, to remain, to undergo, to bear trials, to have fortitude, to persevere. This is kind of a missed message 
uh, in modern day Christianity, the perseverance of the saints, you know. Let's continue until he calls us home, you know. It's not over. The pilgrim is not over until we're home in glory with him. Well, it's sad that they're more concerned about the praise of men than the praise of God. I can't help but think, as a pastor, of those men, those pastors. You know, different churches have different um, church governments. Some churches are set up congregational run, you know. Others are set up to where maybe you have a board of deacons. So the deacons are really the ones calling the shot. And uh, others, you might have a council or board members. I think of the pastor who is hired to come to a church. His job is to keep the people happy. And we'll see to it that you keep the people happy. Sadly, many of those in charge are biblically illiterate due to their own laziness. They're not men of the word. But yet they're directing, they're controlling the things that happen, not only in the church as a whole, but in the pulpit. Pastor, you better watch it. You don't say things like that. We had some complaints today. We stopped taking complaints a long, long time ago, a few decades ago. We don't care about complaints unless I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing, but we never apologize for the word of God. I think of the pastors who are driven by the, the appraisal of men, by the praise of men. I can't say this because they might not like me. I think of that song that Marielle wrote, you know, Dead Men Walking. You know, I forget the lyric, but something about, you know, as long as you continue to love me. I'll just say whatever you want me to say as long as you continue to love me because really that's all that matters in the end. You know, Jesus told us about these guys in chapter 10. He called them hirelings. Hirelings, well, they're not that concerned about the flock of God. They're more concerned about filling their own bellies. It's only a job after all. The text goes on, verses 44 through 50. I don't know if in your own reading of the scriptures, your own study of the scriptures, you realized, but in these verses, these are the last words of Jesus to the public, according to John's gospel account. Are you following what I'm saying? Uh, chronologically, chapter 12 of John ends. Chapter 13 begins, and it's Jesus and his disciples, and they're in this, this room by themselves. There's no multitudes. There's no, there's no, you know, people aren't coming in and out. This is a private time that Jesus is spending with his disciples. I'm sure that the Marys were there and, you know, the others. I'm sure there were other people that were there. I think that Mark was there though Mark was not um, an apostle of Jesus. He wasn't one of the 12, but I believe that he was there. In fact, I believe that Mark tells us that he was there, and he does it in a very kind of indirect way. He describes a young man when Jesus was arrested in the garden, 
who fled, and as he fled, he came out of his garment, and he fled naked. None of the other gospel writers tell us about that man, only Mark, and many Bible commentators believe that Mark was speaking of his own personal experience. I was there. I was scared. I ran. In fact, I ran naked to get out of there. I was so frightened. But it's interesting when you consider that that these words are the last words spoken to to the public. And it says in verse 44, then Jesus cried out and said, now that should get our attention as students of the Bible. He cried out. Why should that get our attention? Well, because Isaiah. You know, Isaiah had a lot to say about Jesus. He prophesied about Jesus. In Isaiah 42, verses 1 and 2, a prophecy concerning Jesus, of course. Let me read it to you. It's apparent that it's speaking of Jesus. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Well, the Jews didn't want to hear that. Well, the verse doesn't end there. The text doesn't end there. It says this about Jesus. It says this about his public ministry in his incarnation. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. And you know, guys, when we study the gospel accounts... Jesus didn't do that. Jesus wasn't screaming out. Jesus wasn't trying to draw attention to himself. But here he did. These last words. In fact, when you read these last words of Jesus speaking to the public, to the, to the multitudes, whoever might have been there, I don't know how many people were there, It's an appeal. It's a passionate appeal to believe in him. Now, it's not like Jesus is like brokenhearted or anything, because remember, we've already looked at the grain of wheat. Remember that, guys. All of these things tie together. Just because we take a small portion of the text, and, and, you know, I teach that and everything, it's important for us to be reading, read the whole chapter, read the whole book. You know, you want a reading program? If we're going through a a gospel or an epistle or an Old Testament book or whatever it might be, just kind of give yourself to reading it through once a week. You'll glean so much more than you'll ever glean from just simply listening to me on a Sunday morning. But all of these things are are tying together. You know, Jesus, he says uh, to the Greeks, he doesn't say to them, but he says about them, we wish to see Jesus. In essence, he says to Andrew and Philip, not now, not now. I must die first and then resurrected. When I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself, you know. There's a sequence of events that will take place. But Jesus, as he calls out, and it literally means to scream or call aloud. This was deliberate as Jesus was Speaking out, proclaiming, broadcasting. He says, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. By the way, this is an ongoing theme of John's gospel account. 
We see this in John 1.1. It's an ongoing thing. Jesus says, said in verse 45, And he who sees me sees him who sent me. By the way, in Hebrews chapter 1, God, who at various times in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds or the ages, who being the brightness of his glory, who, the brightness and glory of the Father, who being uh, the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Do you remember the theme of the book of Hebrews? Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Aaron. Jesus is better than the high priest. Jesus, that's, the, that's really the, the theme of, of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Jesus, back to John. Look at verse 46. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. You know, guys, we need to take the words of Jesus seriously because there is a, there is a lowering, there is, a, there is this, uh, this strange thing that is happening in the last days. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, it's not surprising. It's strange, but it's not surprising because we're told that in the last days it would get like this. People would be lovers of themselves. People would, who would have itching ears. You know, they want teachers. Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I want to hear, you know. And there are plenty of people who will tell us what we want to hear. But there seems to be this standard that is just constantly dropping within the, even the church today. It's so sad. Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, will he really find faith on the earth? What a strange question, Lord. As long as there's the church, as long as there's Christians, yes, Lord, you'll find faith on the earth. And as we march headlong into apostasy, we wonder about that question of Jesus. We see Jesus, the seven letters to the seven churches. I believe that the seven churches represent church history as a whole, from the apostolic church to the last day's church. Last day's church, the church of Laodicea. What is Laodicea? It's the church of people's rights. I want to vote on this. I've got to vote. I'm a member of this church. I remember a few years ago, some friends of ours were attending a church in town, very popular church, and they left, and we asked them why they had left that church, and they said the... Um, council had voted on whether or not to believe to take a literal uh, stance on the first 11 chapters of Genesis. They decided not to take a literal approach. 
So they left. Good for them. People should be leaving places like that rather than just saying, oh, we just love the people here, you know. We love this. We love that. We, oh, they've got the most comfortable seats there, you know, at that place. They've got gourmet coffee after service. You know. We should rather be choosing the assembly, you know, that is teaching the word of God. People that know that they're not perfect, but they're, they're not settling. They're not people that are just simply saying, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't know about you. Maybe it's because I am an old guy, but I am so tired of hearing that statement. It doesn't matter. Because eventually we'll get to a place where nothing matters. Nothing matters. As long as you're sincere, as long as you have a pure heart, Really? We're neither one of those. We're in a world of herd. Guys, as Christians, we need to take seriously the words of Jesus. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. We don't have to be slaves to sin any longer. I mean, if we're truly Christians, if we're truly in Christ, we've been set free from the bondage of sin. And, and if, we're, if we're living in, a, you know, in slavery to sin, it's because we choose to. It's not because we have to. At our men's gathering last Monday, we were talking about some things. I think I was talking I'm always talking it seems like but we're talking about um, children and raising children and and uh, I was kind of you know uh, bemoaning some of the things I didn't do or wish I would have done and that type of thing and uh, Nehemiah piped up and he said uh, you know the Natural mind is at enmity with God. The natural mind has a, it's a, you know, he didn't say it this way, but I was thinking this. It's almost like a magnetic pull toward evil, toward rebellion. That's what the natural mind is. I want to do it my way. I, I want pleasure. I want me, me, me. The natural mind, the natural person, the unbeliever is a person who sits upon the throne of their life. They're calling the shots. This is what's right. This is what's not right. Oh, this is ridiculous. Oh, that's not ridiculous. But the child of God, the Christian, is a person who realizes that we've been booted off, <laughs> and hopefully we've done this willfully, off the throne of our life. If any desire to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, follow me. Remember that? That's our marching orders as Christians. Deny ourselves. Deny ourselves. Deny ourselves. Years ago, uh, our oldest son, he uh, was sitting right up front here, and, and he had a friend that was visiting. The friend was going to I, one of the universities. I forget what school he was going to. He was studying psychology. I was kind of majoring in that. He came to the church. So 
after the service, I went down. I said hello to him. I knew him because he would come to the house and everything. And he said to me, you know, I noticed that um, a lot of your songs are very self-debasing. I said, self-debasing? I said, what do you mean? Explain it to me, you know. Well, it just, you know, it just kind of... And I said, you know what? I think you're confusing self-debasing with God-glorifying. And I said, you know the songs? And so I just kind of went through the songs. I, I might have even grabbed some of the music sheets. And I, started, I said, we are glorifying the Lord. And so in the process of glorifying the Lord, so he is lifted up, we become smaller. So it's not like a deliberate self-abasement. It's, it's kind of a natural or supernatural thing that happens when we're really glorifying the Lord. We want his will to be done, not our will to be done. We become smaller in our eyes. And when I was sharing with him, he admitted that. He says, you know what? I see it now. That's exactly how I was reading it. I was reading it differently, but that's what you guys are doing. He wasn't a believer, but that was just his observation of things. We don't have to abide. We shouldn't abide in darkness any longer. Paul wrote, for you were once darkness. That's... That was true of each one of us before coming to faith in Christ. And if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, I, I'm sad to tell you that that's where you're at today. But we're all were there. You don't have to stay there, though. But now you're light in the Lord. And then the exhortation from Paul, he says, walk as children of light. See, that tells us something, that it doesn't naturally happen. There has to be <laughs> effort, Right? Why would he exhort us to walk as children of light if it just kind of naturally comes? It's just part of the package. And then he goes on to describe what it looks like to walk as children of light. He says, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. How do we do that? The word of God. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Look at that. Let me read that again. And have no fellowship, quinonia, I think it's that word quinonia, it might not be, with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. See, the exposing part is what makes Christians look unloving. But we're doing the very thing that the Lord has called us to do. How do we expose something? We bring it into the light. So as it's in darkness, you know, there's this concealment, but do you bring it into the light of of God's word. And he goes on to say, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. And whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Can I remind you, Paul was writing to believers. See, so often when we read like exhortations like that, we want to say he's, 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 he's talking to the non-believers. The non-believers. Where were they? In the, in the church? Which didn't exist. I mean, there was, no, there was no buildings. It wasn't like seeker sensitive type of thing. This was something that they did, you know, the early church, and then persecution began to, to be poured out upon the believers. So it was a risky thing to be a follower of Jesus. This is an exhortation to believers. 
John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. I'm almost done. Hang with me. And in him was, in Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That word comprehend, a little different from what we were, they didn't understand it. No, the word literally means to take eagerly, to seize, to possess it. In other words, Jesus is the life. Jesus is the light. Again, first chapter of John and other places. He came to offer life and light to the world, to individuals. And it seems that most, sadly, say, no thanks. Not interested. I did a memorial service last weekend, and you know, I I, I love that uh, text in Ecclesiastes where Solomon said that it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. Because um, everyone dies, paraphrase, everyone dies. And it's kind of a time to sober up, you know, from the party and say, hmm, I think he was close to my age or maybe even younger. See, it's time to kind of think about death. You say, well, why should we think about death? Because that's where we're all heading. And, 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 and I said to the folks, and I say this quite often at memorial services, everyone wants to go to heaven. In fact, the number one thing we hear from people at memorial services, at funerals, is a statement. They're in a better place. The very first memorial service I ever did I was in my 20s. My pastor said, Dan, you haven't done a memorial service. I'd like you to do this one. Uh, the fellow wasn't a part of the church. He was a drug dealer in town. Um, when you're doing the memorial services uh, service, there will be guests here, guests of the family, but there will also be police detectives here because they're not sure if he was murdered or had committed suicide. So the verdict's out on these things. I said, oh, okay. So I'm thinking, how in the world do I do a memorial service for someone that they're not a believer and everything? This is my first, you know, kind of like uh, tested by fire. Lady gets up to sing a song before the service begins. She begins to sing Bridge Over Troubled Waters. Simon and Garfunkel, old people remember that. And I got up, and I shared about the rich man and Lazarus. Remember that thing? And how, you know, the rich man ends up in a place he doesn't want to be. And he says, oh, please send Lazarus back to tell my brothers. And kind of the, the moral of the story, even if someone rose from the dead, they would not believe. Jesus says he's telling the parable. I think he's not just speaking in a general sense. I think he's speaking of him, himself. The resurrection and the life. And people still choose not to believe. But yet everyone believes that everybody goes to a better place. It's a scary thing to do a memorial service and to stand before people that you don't know and to say, heaven is not for everybody. Everyone's invited, 
But heaven is not for everybody. It's a prepared place for prepared people, you know. And then go on to tell them how they can prepare themselves for not the better place, but the best place. Because the best place is with the Lord. You say, oh, Dan, why do you have to do stuff like that? You know, guys, it really is. It's not just me. This is something we all need to face. If we fear man more than fearing God, I'm not afraid of God. You know what I mean. There's this reverence. There's this honor. It's like, Lord, you've given me an opportunity to give people hope who have no hope. When I was doing the memorial service, I singled somebody out. That's not always a good thing either. I singled someone out to tell him she loved you so much. She prayed for you all the time. Sometimes we single people out because we want them to kind of break free from the group and see themselves as they truly are and as, a, as they will be seen when they stand before the Lord. If it was a group judgment, you might think I could get through it. If it's a personal thing, that's a frightening thing. Jesus... He makes these statements. He's, he's proclaiming these statements. He's crying out loud. And, 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 and you wonder, you know, he's the only one know, that can see the shadow of the cross. In fact, the shadow of the cross has been over his life and ministry from the very beginning. At Christmas time, we have these, um, these overhead, you know, the slides. And, and I remember one Christmas uh, looking up there for one of the songs, and there was a slide of a, a baby in a feeding trough, you know, and the cross in the background, and the cross was casting a shadow over the little baby. I don't know. I'm a visual guy. I, I really like that. I thought, oh, that's good. That's good. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you not only hear his word, but believe his word, keep his word, that his words are cherished by you? Do you spend time with him in fellowship? You know, I mentioned to the first service that so often our prayers never develop. They never mature. You know, the way we prayed as children, we kind of continued to pray that way. As children, we might pray, Lord, give me this, give me that. I mean, they really are kind of selfish prayers. But as we're walking with the Lord, our prayers should be <laughs> much deeper than just give me, give me, give me. They, 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 they should be <laughs> relationship. I love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for my life. Thank you for this man I'm married to, this woman. I've been married to all these years. Thank you that we have a history together, Lord. Thank you for my children, Lord. Thank you. Uh, you know, I kind of like the fact that early on in Tracy and my marriage, early on, most of it, we struggled financially, and I'm glad for that. 
because we don't struggle as much. You know, all the kids are gone. That's a big factor. You know, they're, they're all out of the house. And it's just Tracy and I. And, and, um, and I, I, I love the fact that, you know, there's a little bit more freedom, financially speaking, to do things and, and stuff like that. It's one thing to just say, I'm thankful for it. It's another thing to address our thanksgiving to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. All good things come from you. I thank you for the good times. I thank you for the lean times. I thank you for the times of plenty, Lord. You've been so, so good to me. Thank you for my life, Lord. I was thinking of it. We sang it this morning. You guys come on up for the last worship song. Um, one of the songs, didn't we sing about the sting of death? Yeah, the old hymn, yeah. Um, the sting of death, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And, you know, none of us know when we're going to go. But I'll tell you, I wouldn't want to go without knowing the Lord. Have you placed your faith in Christ? I mean, truly. Are you living for him? We could say it, but the reality will be manifested in our life. I could stand before you and say, I'm a bodybuilder. And you'd look at me and say, man, it looks like there's only one part of your body that you're building. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be muscle. <laughs> but see, I could, I could make the statement, but the proof would be manifested in, in, you know, the reality. And we want that, not just the physical reality to be manifested. We want the spiritual reality to be manifested in our life. I'm a child of God. I'm so far from perfect. But, oh, Lord, I want to please you. Oh, Lord, I want to trust you. Oh, Lord, I need to be filled with your spirit. Oh, Lord, help me. This dependence upon him. And you know what? It will be manifested in our life. Our kids will see it. Our spouse will see it. People we work with will see it. Don't you want, when it's all said and done, when people, maybe they're thinking about you. Maybe they're at your memorial service. They're thinking about you. And if they were to sum it up and say, what made that person tick? What drove that person? What was that person's passion? Don't you want... People to say, because it's manifested from your life, they love the Lord. They just, they love the Lord. They, they, they wanted to talk about him. They wanted to serve him. It was real. It was genuine. What they were at home is, is what you saw in public. It was the real deal. Would you stand with me, please? Father, would you help us? We know that you've given us everything we have need of. You've given us your spirit who dwells within us, empowers us to live the life that we could not live on our own, in our own strength. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word, Lord. It's truly a light, a lamp. It illuminates our pathway, our pilgrimage. It gives us hope. Thank you, Lord. Give us opportunity this week, Lord, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.